Hey everybody, James Tiley, Johnny Fry. We're going to cover January 17th Digital Bytes newsletter that went out. Hopefully by now you figured out how to sign up over on Substack or the website, throw your email in there. You could get these newsletters and then you'll know what we're talking about later, right? We just, you probably think that Johnny and I ramble off about whatever we want and most likely we do, but we try to follow the newsletter that goes out. Without that newsletter, you might be lost. So let's talk about January. Yeah, like that New York came out. Let's talk well, about real, real New Yorker, James. Good to be back on the air with you. I, I know exactly what you're going to go for. You're going to go for the crypto trading bots, aren't you? You always return to your roots, your algorithmic programming and trading roots. You know, I'd never admit it in public, but a part of me misses it just a little Ooh. bit. All that, all that hassle and commuting and all that smoky big city stuff, the Big Apple. You might remember, remember when uh, Trump was like, Russia, if you're listening? I should be like, Bloomberg, if you're listening. I miss you a little bit. Michael was saying, please come back, James. All is forgiven. Well, I'll even give you your old car park space back. I need my garage, yeah. <laughs> well, but we did cover crypto uh, trading bots, right? Yeah, we were just looking at them. And, you know, James, there's, there's over 22,000 different cryptos. And, you know, these things trade 24 hours, seven days a week. So it's, it's almost impossible for the, you know, for an individual to track and monitor these things and know when to get in and out. You know, which exchange do you buy and sell them on? There's 1,500 different exchanges. So we were sort of looking at this and bearing in mind that the majority, and I mean the majority, 75, 80% of all sort of normal securities trading, i.e. stocks, shares, bonds, things like that, get traded by sort of you know, computer programs in, in if you like, the normal traditional markets. You know, there's more and more people saying, look, if you want to manage one exposure to cryptocurrencies, probably most effective ways through these sort of crypto trading bots. But but James, can you you're more of an expert than me. What is it what people mean by trading bot? Well, I'd say it comes down to the whole set it and forget it idea. You know, the uh, let's be honest, it's a new world with digital assets, right? It's not even just crypto even though, shockingly, that's what we're focusing on. Normally, you log into your Ameritrade, E-Trade, Charles Schwab account, whatever you use, and you go, I'm going to buy a little Tesla. And for all you know, that might as well be a bot, most likely is, and it goes out and it gets you your Tesla. In, in this decentralized world, it's all on you. So nowadays... We're selling services outside of the exchanges for bots. And you say to yourself, well, I'm not a good trader. All right. How many people really are? It's, it's not, there's no shame in it. A good, good trader gets a good 2% a day. And I mean, good. So wow. professionally. So you're just Joe, you know, you work at a car dealer and you make an ends meet. So now you say, okay, I'm going to take $300. I'm throwing this bot that a computer geek like me programmed. And the bot is now going to go out and look at the crypto exchanges to try to do the same exact things that the bots do for the big guys over at Merrill Lynch, right? It's now you are your own little mini bank. It's an expansion of that. So whoever got into the crypto trading bot on the service side of the industry knew that, I think, in my opinion, the target audience was Joe America, John Doe, Johnny Fry. Well, yeah, I, you know, 
it's basically taking a lot of the um, a lot of the pain out of should I buy, should I sell, when do I buy, when do I sell, and you know some clever guy or girl like you says, okay, what do you want to do, and then you program it, and then you just let the algorithm or the 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 the, the robot get on and buy and sell for you. So it's no real mystery. The good thing is is that you can then use you know smart contracts and automatic programming and these markets as i say are trading 24 7 so you may well be buying and selling literally while you're sleeping but it's it's certainly gaining more and more attention uh, and it may actually prove to be a blessing for the regulators who are always worried about you know manipulation and price fixing and stuff like that because you know you can't bribe a bot once it's up and running it's it's locked and it's you know locked and loaded as they say and you just get on and with the trades that are, that are being executed so we're seeing a lot more of it and i suspect there's going to be a lot more um, of this going on and as you just touched on it's not just crypto as we see more and more assets digitizing already there's a clamor for algorithmic trading or bot trading be your wealth manager so perhaps instead of having a stockbroker or wealth manager or financial advisor you'll plug in what, what your aspirations are and automatically it'll buy and sell securities or funds for you and you're not going to rely on the the imperfect knowledge of a human because let's be honest humans only have a certain amount of capacity and certainly can't trade 24 7 so maybe crypto trading bot on digital assets is the tip of the iceberg that we'll see with 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 other securities chains in that article you referenced two out of three that i would recommend right so i'm going to talk about lending out money we're no sam bakeman freed over here but the arbitrage bot example is a good example, right? You're just, you're only human. So you can't watch the prices on four different exchanges at the same time. A lot of people don't realize Bitcoin might be X over on Coinbase and X minus 100 over on Binance. So your arbitrage bot can, you know, the eyes of the world, it could go out and grab that difference for you because you're human. You're not even fast enough to do it. The other one that you picked was a trend trading bot. And that goes back to, you're just Joe. I'm just James. I might not understand trends and indicators and relative strength indexes. The bot's set up to do that. So in those two examples, I would, I would have no issue setting my mom with a little crypto trading bot, throw a hundred bucks in there and say, mom, go crazy. Coin lending, <laughs> probably another world, right? Yeah, a bit more hairy, a bit more hairy. Okay. So one of the other articles we wrote this this week was looking at digitization of payments, which sounds quite frankly jolly dull. But this was um, spot. We had a couple of readers ask us about, you know, digital assets, digital payments. How is it going to impact on on the man and the lady in the street in terms of moving money around? Surely in fairly sophisticated markets, it's already cheap and it's reasonably easy and, and hassle free. But if you look at the the margins that you know, most banks make a pretty good profit. And you look at the credit cards, you know, Visa and MasterCard, you know, they're, they're making four times the average profit of the S&P 500. So as, as the Americans would say back in the 1849, the 49s, there's gold in those hills, James, and there's certainly a lot of money. And according to McKenzie, they reckon that by 2026, you know, year after next, we'll be paying something in excess of $3 trillion three trillion dollars a year that's what it's going to cost in all these little fees and costs and charges that you know payment companies banks credit cards that's what they charge to move money around and make these payments so off the back of that you're seeing a whole plethora of e-money 
fintech i businesses coming into the space to say we want to find a way we can make these payments faster cheaper ideally almost in real time and so we're seeing a number of initiatives now to do that you can't do that in a situation whereby you've got ledgers and you've got people you know well if you've got people involved it's got to be automated and it's got to be digitized we're seeing a number of different examples whereby you're using the digitization, the tokenization of assets or of cash. And, and we're familiar, obviously, with the, with the concept of central bank digital currencies and stable coins. But we're seeing a number of entities looking at this and saying, well, we want to be able to move money transparently, but faster and quicker, and potentially without giving it to a third party, perhaps not with an exchange, not with a, a clearinghouse. So we end up with this concept of a peer-to-peer or atomic swap. And that means money is going to be moving around a lot, lot faster and it'll unlock a lot of money in the sense that you won't have to have so much money locked up at an institutional level. So it'll make things a lot quicker and faster and hopefully cheaper accordingly, James. I think what I like best about digitization of payments, say I went on a totally different route with that. Remember, remember about 25 years ago, we had that Craigslist boom. Everybody was on Craigslist buying and selling, right? You guys had Craigslist over there, right? Yeah, it wasn't as big as it was in the States. So Just I'll explain here, what this was. It was classified ads that, you know, you'd put up, you sell your car, you sell your computer, yep. and then, you know, somebody wants to buy a car, you'd ask some questions and you'd meet, you know, and, and there became running jokes about different types of classified ads that you could you could post. A little, if you ever look at the back of the New Yorker, they got a little dicey back then, and Craigslist followed <laughs> that. But there were stories... 25 years ago, of like a kid that was in the barter section. He bartered a pocket knife for a book bag. And he bartered the book bag for a book. He bartered the book for silverware, bartered the silverware for food. And eventually, he wound up with a Porsche, like a 98 Porsche. And uh, they did this big article about how he just kept trading up. He was, if you think about it, he was trading every asset available except for the dollar bill from a pocket nice. knife to a Porsche. If we were to digitalize that today, which we are, now, as we've seen in the past, and we've made fun, trading cards of monkeys become a valuable asset. And that those transfers are really no different than 25 years ago when the kid was bartering his pocket knife for a car. We're at the point now where everything is money if it's digital. Well, I think that's part of the worry with some people that all of a sudden you're 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 changing the way people think about money. People used to think about money, it was something originally money was we didn't have money, we had bartering. And then we had forms of money backed by something in theory tangible like gold. And then we had money backed by promises. And perversely, and we've discussed this before, we're going back to you know, money being backed by effectively bartering potentially, because people are going to be able to use different assets. And, and okay, the obvious assets are stocks and shares and bonds and funds and real estate and things like that. But you're going to have other assets like like loyalty schemes, like, you know, cyber.fm, you have a loyalty scheme. As people are listening to us right now, many of your listeners are being paid in, in, a, in a loyalty token, a cryptocurrency. But it, it's not going to be that far, in my opinion, before we start seeing people digitizing their healthcare records, their driving, their travel data, their viewing data. And 
they'll be able to swap that information for people that want access to it. And so therefore, you know, Larry Fink at BlackRock, you know, the, the biggest asset manager in the world is basically saying that, you know, what we've seen recently with the Bitcoin being allowed as an ETF is another small step down this road of tokenization. So I think that's something which we're going to see more and more of. And therefore, how do you pay for a cup of coffee um, or a beer or, you know, or a theater ticket? Well, you may well end up paying not with cash, but with something that has some sort of value. You may be trading, in fact, a digital version of your credit card miles or your sort of um, your healthcare data, or it might be the brick off your chimney because you've tokenized your house. You know, in the same way that, you know, Tony Abel from TPX has often talked to us about. Right. My solar energy, my electric, charge my car, pay you, pay me. Yeah. Why not? Why not? And all this is now before it was just like it was just hubris. It was just talk. Oh, it's real now. It's very real. Well, look at you. You're a digital landlord. You own you own a little bit of property. Digitized environment. I have a share in a million dollar lottery home in Miami, Florida. There you go. There you go. I'll probably never be okay. able to walk into it, but or wheel into it. But but I own a share. I was looking at it the other day. I might buy more. Buy buy another share. What in the same property or another one? That same property because it's it was featured on HGTV. This is not financial advice. What's HTGVT? Is that some TV station in America? Oh, I forgot. Yeah, you guys only got like four channels, right? <laughs> We're not guys, quite that bad. You got your BBC one through five. We have BBC, old boy. BBC, British Broadcasting Corporation. Don't so you know? HGTV is Home and Garden Television Network. Do you ever see oh, Home goodness. and Garden magazine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Home yeah, Garden so they have magazine. a TV channel out here. And they do these yeah. cool little things like, you know, fix it up your home and... It's reality shows is what it is. So they have one where a family wins the lottery and they and they enact this realtor, famous realtor, and he takes them out on a tour of all these different homes that you can now own because you won the lottery. You and won a, the lottery. You can afford it. A, a so realtor is an estate agent, isn't it? So a real, yeah, a real estate agent. There's a joke that show Modern Family that there's a difference between a realtor and a real estate agent. Kind of like you say, there's a difference between a lawyer and an attorney. Yeah. Well, we're, as, we're getting all lost, though. Yes, I, well, I do. Yeah. I do. Well, look, we better, we better toodle on because coming up after the break, we've got um, our friend Brian Coyne, if you remember. Now, Brian's a fascinating guy, trained as a lawyer um, in South Africa, came to London and got involved in, in the derivatives world. So he's been very much you know, involved in a very fast moving in you know, the derivatives market, as we've said before, is over a over a quadrillion in size. It's a massive market. And he's been trading derivatives for over 35 years. And but he's he's rather intrigued and reckoned well, his title in his article is Bitcoin about to join the big league. And he's whilst he's interested in cryptocurrencies, what he's more interested in is how the technology behind Bitcoin, how that is going to have a transform transformational impact on other assets and potentially in the derivatives market so going to be interesting to hear his experiences 35 years so a real professional trader in the derivatives market and got a wide range of experience but obviously clever guy because he's a trained lawyer and he's going to be talking about what he's seen in the derivatives market his understanding of the of cryptos and how that technology is going to impact on financial markets going forward so so that's coming up after the break but but please remember you know first of all thank you for listening to the digital bite show if you would like a copy, as James said, 
We write this every week and you're very welcome. You just need to contact James Tiley, T-Y-L-E-E on LinkedIn or at Cyber.fm or myself, Johnny Fry, also on LinkedIn, J-O-N-N-Y-F-R-Y. And you just sign up and we'll send it to you. No charge. And it's really looking at who, how, where and why blockchain and digital assets have been used in different countries and digital industries. But um, we'll be back after the break with Brian Coyne talking about Bitcoin about to join the big league. Teamblockchain.net. Right in front of you, the minute it loads up, we don't care how you listen to the show. I'd love for you to listen on Cyber.fm, but let's be realistic. Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, iHeart, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Pandora, and you could always say, Alexa, open up Digital Bytes Podcast. We put that right there in the very front, and right next to it, if you have no idea what we're talking about every week, Stick your email address in there and actually get the newsletter. Hey, everybody. Still in a new year. Still feeling a little laggy. Still writing 2023 on my checks. Yes, I write checks. Well, that's a complete lie. But I'm typing in 23 on the keyboard. Johnny, we're doing a part two over here with our old friend, Brian Coyne. He wrote a very personable article about how Bitcoin's going to join the big league. Absolutely. I'm I'm delighted to... So get Brian back. I was talking to you a couple of weeks ago. I said, come on, Brian, I want you to tell our listeners a bit about your background and history and why is it relevant today? So, Brian, thank you for um, doing the article. I know we've had a bit of turning and froing because I have to be honest, I love the way you write because it's, it's very much from the heart. Well, thank you. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Yes, I, I find... Being a simple boy from Africa, I've always found keeping it simple kiss is the way that I've been able to do my whole life. And even, you know, getting through law school, I wasn't a top student and probably I wasn't the greatest lawyer. Maybe that's why I stopped law and went into derivative trading. Derivative trading was my forte. For some reason, I've fallen in love with derivatives, with options, with the futures and the ability to buy and sell short uh, sell options, buy options. I've loved that. And it's kept me going. What's changed my life even more so is the crypto world, as I keep telling you fellows. There's no one a bigger believer than me. All right. Well, well, hang on, bro. Hang on. Can we just go back a step? What are derivatives? Because I know they're massive, you know, over a quadrillion size. But why should, why should our listeners care about derivatives that most of them can't even spell it, let alone know what they mean? Is it got an F or a V in it? Well, that's a good question. So a derivative future, an option is a right, but not an obligation to purchase a predetermined asset at a predetermined price at a predetermined date. What does that mean? If I think the market's going up, let's keep it simple. Let's say the dollar to the pound at 128. If I think the dollar is going to go to 150, I could buy a call option. Now, if the market goes up to there, I could make the difference between 128 and 150, call it 12. And for that, I might only pay half a buck. So it means I'm risking 50 cents to make $12. If I get it wrong, I lose my 50 cents. If I get it right, bush, bash, boom, I make my 50 cents times 24, i.e. 12. Okay, so that sounds to me a bit like speculation and gambling, but most of the derivatives market is used more for insurance, isn't it? Well, for every insurance, you need a speculator. The, the derivative market is made up of two caliber of people. You have speculators, hedge funds, for example, and uh, hedges, which would be like insurance companies. So 
An insurance company knows that come December, they have to redeem $100 million worth of uh, policies. So they know that in December, they have to sell $100 million worth of an asset. They could do it right now. And they would be the hedger. And the speculator would be the person taking the other side saying, you know what, right here, right now, I think the market's going up. So it's a win-win that the, the insurance company gets the certainty that they need and the speculator gets the risk that they need. So it, everyone's a winner. Got it. But it's not just in financial markets you have derivatives, is it? It's agricultural and manufacturing. It's, and- yes. It stretches from commodities, from corn to gold to stock exchanges to you name it. If, if, if there's a price that you can trade, there's a derivative on it. Prime example would be farmers trying to hedge their, their, their crop. If, if I'm a soybean farmer in South America and I know it's going to cost me $10 a hectare to produce my soybeans, and say the price of soybeans are trading at 35 I could say, you know what, I'm very happy to be guaranteed a profit. Let me sell now. So they would be the hedger. And the speculator would be a fund in New York that would say, you know what, soybeans look cheap. Let's just hedge ourselves as an inflation play. Both parties would benefit one way or the other. So the derivative market has far bigger uses than just gambling. Right. Okay. And you've been doing this for 30, 35 years now? I think I started in 1986. I'm still doing the same job. I still sit and do the same market today that I did on the 1st of January, 1986. What's that main market you do? That's the South African. uh, I trade South African indices mainly. That's my bread and butter. So that's South African, st- the, the, the indices, you're talking about equities, stocks and shares? Yes, yes, stocks and shares in, in South African market, yes. And you've worked for a number of big companies as well as now you've got your own brokerage. No, I still work for a big brokerage. I work for uh, a Catcher Fitzgerald BGC Partners where um, I run their South African equity derivatives desk. Okay. So, so sorry for sort of taking you back to basics, but I just think there's a lot of people that may have heard of the word derivatives, but don't know what it means. It's, it's the biggest asset class by, by far. I mean, That's correct. One and 1.3 trillion, a uh, quadrillion. And as James knows, we've had this argument, you know, the, the Americans think there's only 18 noughts in a quadrillion. The Brits think there's 24, but we'll, we'll come back to that. But what I was interested in talking to you is, given all your experience, and, and you are a wily old bird, so it's going to be difficult to pull the wool over your eyes. You think that blockchain has got something that can perhaps lend, teach, help the derivatives market be even more efficient? The other way, well, yes, I do, because derivatives relies on people. When a buyer and a seller do a a trade, they need a middle party to manage the variation margin, the daily movements of cash. If, for example, go back to that farmer in Brazil, if the price of soybeans collapses and he's due a profit we need to make sure the person that's losing pays him so it's not his responsibility to phone the hedge fund in new york and say please send me my money to xyz bank account you would have a middleman normally an exchange that would do that and they would guarantee the parties so exchanges do go bust from time to time and exchanges have people and they have systems which are antiquated and generally I feel that the exchange way of trading is a dying way because that everyone needs to have credit lines and it just takes time and it takes admin. Not this very can efficient. all be 
No. Whereas if we use... risk or counterparty. This this is what people call counterparty risk. So, for example, a prime example is FTX. No one thought that FTX would be anyone's counterparty risk. You know, they could have done whatever they wanted, but they were the risk. So even though we talk about crypto in a negative sense, and we talk about the, the, the collapse of the exchanges, whether it was Mt. Gox or FTX, those were controlled by people just like NASDAQ and, and other markets, other exchanges are controlled by people. But if we would utilize blockchain technology, whoa, 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 things get exciting because then we take the human element out of it. We have a situation where there's a predetermined, everything is predetermined in advance. And if you agree to it, it's automated and everything gets digitalized. It gets done in the, the web. Um, buyers are protected, sellers are protected, transfers are automatically taken care of. And in the event of a default or specific situation, the exchange, the automated contract can actually liquidate itself. So it's a lot less error prone and far more amenable to the new world that we're in now of instantaneous gratification. Okay, so so even though you could have a, a, a derivatives contract with a, with 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 if you like a buyer or a seller of, of the derivative, and that could last for, for several months, every day there's this variation margin. So there's a there's a small adjustment of money flowing between the parties potentially or almost every day in some cases. And sometimes twice or three times a day if you have a very volatile market that could you know you wow. could have a situation where you have to put up margin three or four times a day. So that's a, that's a lot of administration, a lot of lot of flow of funds going between. You can see how easy it's to get the reconciliation and, and a lot of trust. So you know you need people to trust one another because if I tell you know if the price of copper collapses and I'm on the other side of the trade and I say all right look don't worry I'm sending you money you know there's a four hour period where you know I'm waiting for that money to hit my account but I'm losing millions and I'm relying on you to be doing what you say you're going to do. Got it. This, this all gets taken away with the new you know automated trading systems that are available in DeFi. And and you, you is, talked about you. I loved your expression that the transparency triumph. No more black boxes. Can you can you explain a black box? What do you mean by that? And, and how smart contracts sort of cut through well, Black box is a proprietary trading system that each bank would utilize for its own own use and its own requirements, and it would do what's best for itself. It doesn't care about the market or the counterparts, and. The black, the black box that I see would be done away with whereby everyone would have an equal opportunity to be able to trade because the DeFi rules would be published for all to see. And the great thing about blockchain is there's no uncertainty. Everything is certain. Uh, anyone can read the full working papers of Bitcoin or any, uh, blo- you know, any blockchain from A to Z. Everything is there. And you would then be able to have complete certainty. So you would know in the event that the market moves 2% against you, what's going to happen if it moves 1%, if it moves half a percent, if it moves 20%. And these would all be predetermined, non-negotiable situations that would take away uncertainty from all parties concerned. So presumably that could be very helpful for the regulator because they could actually carry out what-if scenarios very easily because they could say, what happens if the market falls by 10, 20, 30, 40%? Who, who's then going to have to make capital calls? who may have capitality challenges. So you could see it being a very useful tool for regulators. Not only for regulators, but for, for people that might not be comfortable in the OTC market because, you know, at the end of the day, who really wants to take on 
counterparty risk of a copper mine in Chile or, or an exchange in Santiago when you can actually have a predetermined situation you know, where you know exactly and can see exactly what's going to happen, all events. Got it. Got it. And why, why haven't, obviously there's been some changes recently. ISDA the, uh, have been working, and that's like the governing body of sort of derivatives, you could almost see it as. And that, that, they have some agreed standards in their master agreements. Although derivatives exchanges and derivatives operate on a global basis, there are some predetermined rules and regulations that, well, not regulations, but sort of, yeah, standards that they agree to. They're, they've, they're now allowing smart contracts. They've just recently announced they're going to start allowing tokenized collateral. Why, why haven't we seen greater automation coming in, do you think? I think twofold. One, people don't like change. And two, for the people that are controlling the situation, it's not in their instant, it's not in their, uh, what's the word, their interests to actually change the situation because they're going to be putting themselves out of jobs. That's the truth of the issue. You know, you don't need you don't need a hundred man back office anymore when you can have an automated digital contract that does everything and that everyone knows exactly what's going to happen from the regulators to the buyer to the seller to the trader. Everyone can see exactly when, you know, the margin will be paid, how it will be paid, you know, whether the counterparty is running out of margin. If they're running out of margin, they know that it'll be closed out instantaneously. There's no uncertainty. There's no guessing. There's no waiting for hours. It makes everyone a lot more comfortable. And in certain instances, people don't want that. You know, change sometimes is bad. Got it. Got it. James, come on. You know a little bit about derivatives and black boxes. You've built a few in your time. What, what do you reckon to what Brian's saying? Well, for one, I'm not going to lie to you. I'd be more than happy to see my old career just collapse into the into the breaks of the ocean with the whole black boxes, smart order routing, dark pools. It, I agree that it's over. In theory, it's over. And and blockchain technology and smart contracts allow for a new a target audience. I was I was expecting Brian to go there a little bit. And so that's my question for you. What is your opinion, if you have one, on more people? Even though, you know, we're taking, at the end of the day, it's still people, more people with less yeah. money given the ability to participate, right? So now, oh. now grandma can eventually, we're going to assume whether it's grandma or our 18 year old kids, because I think both lack a little technology in their skill sets today, but they will be able to take their very small amounts of money that are safe and get involved in the same things that you and I do. That's coming. For sure, that's coming. You know, you see some of the exchanges that are offering five and ten times gearing on, on Bitcoin. I hate that because that, that that's what's creating volatility and causing problems for, for small people and basically making them men in the street lose all their money. So I, I'd like to see that done away with, and I'd like to see the options market coming back stronger and allowing people to to rather invest five hundred pounds and have the ability to make twenty thousand, and if they get it wrong, to lose five hundred, I'd feel a lot more comfortable than than that. Whereas at the moment, it's not in you know the exchanges in China and Europe or whatever are not really offering these products yet. But this will come. This is this is definitely uh, will come as the market becomes more mature. Yeah, I was going to say there's not a lot of options options right now. 
for crypto. But I was. They are, but not. But they are, but not not for the man in the street. But I think once Bitcoin gets closer to my target of a million dollars a coin, I think then you'll start seeing uh, the market become a lot more sophisticated and a lot more of these products and the ability for the man in the street to trade on on that basis is going to be a lot better and stronger, and there'll be more opportunity because. Capital growth after a million bucks is going to be minimal on Bitcoin, I believe. More so we've got a while to go. More power so in industry, right? Brian, there's two things playing out here then. One is the use of the technology behind things like Bitcoin being used in the existing derivatives market. But there's also the whole derivatives market potentially helping to fuel cryptocurrencies themselves. So they're almost working in a symbiotic way. In, in, in to well, Yes and no. I mean, we've got the exchange-traded funds which have come on, but that's just another way of buying Bitcoin, but it's also going to be another way of selling Bitcoin. But yeah. uh, you, you need the underlying use of the Bitcoin to filter through to the world and for people to see the ability that Bitcoin has to transform their finances and their, uh, ask, you know, their, their investment portfolios. And, and when people start seeing that, then... It's going to create more demand. And as there's more demand, people are going to have to come up with more innovative ways of allowing people to hedge. Because at the moment, no one is going to want to hedge Bitcoins, really. You know, so that, that means that we have to wait a little bit longer, I believe, until there's a good two-way market in, the, in sentiment. And that's not there yet. There's right. either believers or non-believers. And a non-believer doesn't want to go short Bitcoin. They just don't get involved. Got it. So, so we need the markets need to be have greater depth, and also be just seen. It's another asset that can be traded as opposed to being particularly against or for the asset. In other words, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Brian, f- fascinating. I and I, I generally would thoroughly recommend you to read Brian's article. A lot, a lot of passion. Speaks in a very, very clear, concise way, which is quite unusual for a South African, but. You know, we'll get oh, Johnny, I'll ignore that. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, thank you. Thank you Don't for joining us. Don't about the rugby. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I'd got away with it. I thought I'd got away with it. God, I was watching at the weekend. South African rugby at the moment, a club level is just, it's on a different level. It really is. But yeah, um, we, can have another, we can have another podcast on that. I think, yeah, God, no, because yeah. I know what's going to happen. I'm going to definitely lose that one, the way our rugby is at the moment. But there you go. There you go. And James, that's rugby with a funny oval ball, not not soccer with a round ball, as you know it. Oh, it's football. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. They call it football. Brian, thank you ever so much. Thanks and, for having me on, guys. All the best for 2024. And I uh, look forward but to But Brian, before you go, if anyone would like <laughs> to get a hold of you, the best bet is probably through LinkedIn. And it's Brian, B-R-Y-A-N, coin, C-O-Y-N-E. Um, or you can yep. just contact James Tiley um, or myself, Johnny Fry on LinkedIn and we'll get a copy of Brian's um, article too. But thank you for listening and we'll be back again next week with another edition. Thank you. Thanks, fellas.